0: Oh, good morning. morning. Daryl. thanks, you and your team, to um, call us to worship our Lord and Savior. Isn't it wonderful that we can actually go to him because he really does love us. He cares for us. He is the source of all love, and he cares for us. I am Scott Mesker. Privileged to be one of the elders here at um, South City Church. And whether you're online with us today or here in purpose, uh, in person, I just, it's just good to be here because I don't know about you, but the last few weeks I felt heavy. It's been heavy with everything that's going on. I mean, it started with COVID-19 and then the killing of George Floyd and then the protests and the riots and the looting. I mean, it's just like, it just layers on top of one another. And I was busy all day yesterday, but when I turned on the, the news last night, and saw Atlanta burning, and Rashad Brooks, the killing of him, my heart was hurting, it was heavy. I mean, there's been times over the last few weeks, I mean, I've, I've felt confused, I've felt discouraged. I felt hurting. There's sometimes that I couldn't even put words to how much I hurt. And I know talking with some of some of you, very similar. But there's also people here, I mean they're hurting. And they feel like they've been left behind. And what we gotta do as a church to be able to come together. And so I had to, like, search my own heart and find out what, what is going on here. And one of the things that God's, God's teaching me is, is that I look at things through my own grid. Right? And that grid is formed from the family that I came from, the education that I had, the friends that I had, the work that I did, the things that I experienced. My friends today, the churches that I attended, and also the pastors that I sit underneath, it forms this grid. And I realize that I look at all of my life through my grid. And what God is showing me is is that there's very few people that look at life through my grid. As a matter of fact, there's nobody else that looks at life through my grit. Everybody comes from a different place. Everybody has a story. And so God's going, be sensitive. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that wanna divide us out there right now. Divide our families, divide our church, divide our communities. But see, we have a great opportunity As a church, to be able to understand, everybody's coming from a different spot. And are we going to reach out as a church body and really seek to understand? I couldn't help it this morning. I woke up and um, I wasn't planning on on using this, but Micah 6 8, because some of the questions that, that keep coming up what am I supposed to do? And in Micah 6.8, you have that very question, what's required of me? And there's three simple things. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We have a great opportunity as a church family to be able to walk humbly with our God. And a lot of times what that means is walk humbly with each other. Seek to understand them. Rejoice with them when they rejoice. Weep with them when they weep. Do we seek understanding. We need to recognize that true transformation and reconciliation and healing comes from Christ and Christ alone. So this morning we've got the incredible privilege of looking at God's Word together. Um, Let me just pray and just have us start out. Lord, I wanna just thank you for today. I wanna thank you for who you are, that you love us, that you're with us, that you've reached down and you've touched our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you would search our hearts, reveal to us the things that you need to work on, that we need to continue to yield to You. And Lord, this morning as we look into Your Word, I just pray that Your Spirit touches us. I pray that we're able just to grab a nugget out of Your Word this morning. I just pray that it just ministers to each one of us today. Lord, I do love You and I worship You. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, you can, you can make your way um, to Acts chapter 18. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. We're going to go through the first 17 verses. But we're going to, I want to give you a little bit of background. Because we are picking up the story of Paul. He's kind of towards the end of his second missionary journey journey. And even though Paul has seen many lives that have come to know the Lord and they started many churches at this point in time he was kind of weary. I mean the reality is is that Paul he'd been beaten several times. He'd been cast out of cities. He'd been thrown in prison. He actually was stoned and left for dead at one point. And when he was in Macedonia, his support system, Silas and Timothy, stayed there while he went on to Athens alone. That would be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? Having to go through all of that and then go, I'm doing this alone. And then in Athens, here he has to to deal with this group of intellectuals there in Athens. And so he, he sits there and has to reason with them. And so we find in chapter 18, Paul is moving from Athens to Corinth. And let me give you a little bit um, of um, background on Corinth. If we could take a look at this map, you're going to see that um, Corinth is right at the entrance of this land bridge that separates Greece and the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And it's really kind of unique because there's actually two ports right off of Corinth. One port is on the east side, and that ends up connecting with the Aegean Sea, and that gives access to Asia and the Middle East. But on the west side is another port, and that connects with the Ionian Sea, which gets connection into Italy and Rome. So the reality is, is this is a, a very powerful and influential city. Because just about all the trade and commerce, whether it's by land or by sea, has to come through Corinth. And because it's such a strategic location, Corinth was also a senatorial province of the Roman Empire. What that meant is the governor, which we'll meet later in the, on the chapter, was appointed by the Roman Emperor himself. This made Corinth a very powerful, political place to be. And then there were several pagan gods worshipped in Corinth, like Poseidon and Apollo and also Hermes. But right on the edge of town was this massive mountain of rock structure that ended up going about 2,000 feet high. And just for perspective, Pinnacle Mountain right here in Little Rock is about 750 feet high. And so up on top of this rock structure was a plateau and there was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And there was about 1,000 slaves that serviced that temple by day. And at night, If you can just imagine, these slaves would come down and parade down the mountainside at night, and they would come into Corinth and sell themselves as prostitutes. As you can imagine, Corinth was powerful. I mean, it was kind of like New York City, Washington, D.C., and Las Vegas, all combined. It's been said even the pagans called Corinth an evil city. Well, let's take a look. And that's where we are with Paul, right? So let's take a look at um, chapter 18, starting in verse, verse 1. It says, After these things he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he, was, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks." So here, first of all, we, we're introduced to Aquila and Priscilla. Obviously, they had some sort of means about them. Because it says that Aquila came from Pontus, which was over in Asia Minor. And somehow they ended up over in Rome together. And they, they stayed in Rome until until there was such kind of a dicey um, relationship between the Jews and the Christians, And finally, Claudius, the emperor, said, I don't need this in, in, my, in my community. You guys all need to leave. And so somehow, um, Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Corinth. The thing that's important about that is Paul ends up coming in there, and remember, he was all alone. And so coming into Corinth, it was really nice to have fellow believers that actually had some kind of means, because for me... I just know that you can't, you can't minister it alone very long. So it's nice to actually have some people that are coming alongside you. I mean, it's certainly something that we need to be encouraged with this morning. Don't do it alone. Surround yourself with people who can come alongside. And he said they were tent makers, like Paul. But what that really meant is that they were leather workers. Because not only did they make tents, but I'm sure because of the maritime industry, they were really busy with with different things of leather on the ships. And they were also um, involved in the clothing industry. So they had quite a business, and Paul was able to to jump right in there. And he had a a time, really, quite frankly, of rest. Because it says he was a tent maker throughout the week, and then on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, which gave him some time just to be able to, to rest. And the thing is, um, as Paul was going into the Sabbath and talking with the Jews and the Greeks there, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind, may come to your mind, is, is going, okay, if you've been beaten, and you've been not wanted everywhere you're going, why in the world would you go back to the synagogue? And it's simple. Because the Jewish people were God's people. And Paul had a heart for that. I mean, Paul himself, that's where he came from. And he knew they were God's chosen people, so he would continue to go back to the synagogue everywhere he, every time, everywhere he went, that's where he would start out. And another thing, just to kind of put it in perspective, because we try to, we want to villainize the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. Usually, we look at them as the bad people. But here's the reality. When they're, when you walked into a city, it was the Jewish religion that was the, was the religion that actually brought stability there. I mean, they were the ones that lived together, supported each other, celebrated milestones together, mourned tragedy together. They studied Scripture together and worshiped God. They were God's chosen people. But many of them were blinded because of their traditions. And that's why Paul always started there. And Paul was always really in tune with who he was talking to. Like in Athens... He knew he was talking to the intellectuals. So he would reason with them. But in Corinth, he knew that he was dealing with powerful people, much different than the intellectual. And so he knew that he had to approach them differently. You know, with his background, we're gonna take a look at at, at a passage. With with his background, he knew that he could go toe-to-toe with these people from a power structure. But he chose a different tactic. So let's look at a couple passages. First one I want to look at is Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to pick it up in um, the middle of verse 4. It says, if anyone else has a mind... To put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I mean, Paul had an impressive resume, didn't he? He was no doubt the head of his class. And he proved he had the power because he would persecute Christians. He dragged them out of their house and put him in prison. But he was there. And he encouraged the crowd when they actually stoned Stephen. But by grace, he had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. I mean, he was struck down, he was blinded, and his life was transformed. He had all this power, but realized it was nothing. And his life was transformed. He counted everything he had as loss when he finally had his life transformed. So he knew he, not, he needed another tactic to reach the people in Corinth. If we go to 1 um, Corinthians chapter 2, you know, this is Paul writing back to the Corinthian church, church several years later after he established the church and he's reminding them. And he says in verse one, he says, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in pro." persuasive words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God he knew his audience he would enter into the world because he knew that he could go toe to toe with them he could probably win an argument with them from a power structure standpoint But he realized that if he did that, he would end up losing them. He wouldn't have an audience with them. So he decided to be humble because he realized that sometimes true power comes in humility. So he humbled himself. Because it's not about us. This is about Christ. go back to um, Acts 18, verse 5. It says, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. If you remember, Silas and Timothy had left him in Macedonia. And so for them to come, I believe they had two things that they brought with them. first thing is that he brought great news of what was happening in the church of Thessalonica. I mean, that church's faith was spreading across the region. And I can only imagine, because they didn't have 24-hour news cycles back then. So when Silas and Timothy came, that was a breath of fresh air. The other thing they brought from a gift standpoint is they had to bring a financial gift because it says that he was able to devote himself completely to the Word. I thought it was interesting. Let me just reread this again. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. And I think this next section, I'm just gonna pause for a moment. This next section made me one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. Because he said, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ You know what Paul was saying there? He was saying that the historical Jesus, the one that they had heard so much about, is the one. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the deliverer that Moses cried out for. He's the one that the prophets longed for. And there's no doubt that these Jews had prayed many of the Messianic prophecies memorized, probably since they were little kids. Because you have to understand, every Jewish boy would go to school, similar to our children going to vacation Bible school during the summer. However, it'd be year-round, many years, and not quite so much fun. They would memorize vast amounts of Scripture, and no doubt, they were taught to look for the Messiah. And remember, when Jesus was born, of the Virgin Mary, in the little town of Bethlehem, He was the fulfillment of these prophecies. He healed the sick. Gave sight to the blind and raised people from the dead. And yet they mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him. They nailed him to a cross. And they crucified him. And they put him in a tomb. And rolled a big boulder in front of it and then sealed it. But all the power of this world, all the power that was in Corinth, all the human power couldn't keep him in that tomb. He defeated death and once again proved that he was the Messiah that we're looking for. And yet, they rejected him again. Then, and in this passage, look at verse 6. It says, and when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I shall go to the Gentiles. Paul did not give up on them, they gave up on him. Paul knew his mission in the synagogue was done. It was interesting, the symbolism of shaking out the garments and the words, your blood is beyond your head would be very, very familiar to these Jewish people because that comes straight from Scripture. I mean, if you look back in Ezekiel chapter 33, it talks about how the watchman is blowing the trumpet on the day of judgment. And if you don't hear If you don't heed the warning, your blood will be on your head." So his audience would understand that, and Paul knew that he was clean. He was a type of watchman. He was blowing that trumpet warning, going, this is the one. He's the one you've been looking for. However, at that moment, God uses that to redirect Paul to the Gentiles, which is really great news for us. But can you imagine that scene? I mean, here Paul is in the the synagogue. And he's shaking out his clothes. And he makes a pronouncement on him. And he says, I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. So where do you think Paul went? Did he go back to Athens? Did he go back to Macedonia? Did he go on to Ephesus? Nope. Nope. Let's see where he went. Verse 7. And he departed from there and went to the house of a certain man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Can you believe that? That seems to me like there's a pretty there's some tension there, right? And Paul's saying, "I am out of here," and he goes next door. I mean, and the next door is not like if you left South City Church here, you know, where our nearest neighbor is like a quarter of a mile away. Next door was they. This house probably shared a wall with the synagogue. That's amazing to me. That's some courage. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Where does that courage come from? It's the Lord. And then, of course, it says that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard we're believing and were being baptized. Isn't that cool? Can you believe that? Of course you can. This is the gospel at work. Grace and mercy is extended to all. But Paul must have still been feeling discouraged and fearful. There still must have been people that were trying to intimidate him and probably trying to hurt him. So in verse nine through 11, the Lord steps in And it says, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. That must have been great news for Paul. Especially the point where he's saying, No one's going to hurt you. Wouldn't that be great to have that promise tucked in your back pocket? But I think we can all be comforted by this passage. <laughs> For instance, and I, I didn't go ahead and do this myself. I'm trusting that this is true. I heard there's 365 passages in the Bible that says do not fear or do not be afraid. That's one for every day of the year. How comforting is that? And I love it when scripture confirms scripture. Because this this little passage here reminds me of of, um, the the Great Commission back in Matthew 28. I'm actually gonna start in, in verse 18. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's going, Go. Be bold. Keep speaking. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always even to the ends of the earth. And Jesus at that moment was talking directly to the disciples. But I also believe that he was talking through to the disciples, to Paul and to us. He was saying, go, go boldly, because I'm going to be with you. To the end of the age. Because when he was talking to the disciples, he wasn't expecting the disciples to live forever. So he was talking to us that he's going to be with us and the people that are going to follow after us. And I love this thing that came to mind. It's this with you. God is with you. It's kind of like when we have our grandchildren at home. They come over and they're in the living room and they're all sitting on the, on the floor and they're playing games. And if I'm over here in my chair and I'm checking my texts on my phone, I'm with them, but only in proximity. But if I put my phone away and I get down on the floor, and I play the same game that they're playing, and I enter into their life, now I'm with them. Or if I'm out in my front yard playing with my grandkids, and one of them gets too close to the street and I have to go and rescue them from a speeding car, now I'm with them. God is with us. I'm going to connect a couple other thoughts in this passage. In verse verse 9 it says, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And in the end of verse 10 it says, for I have many people in this city. This isn't, talking about there was a bunch of believers already in Corinth. This was talking about the future. This is the sovereignty of God speaking into Paul, going, I want you to keep speaking because I've already called people, but I'm going to be using you to speak to them. And There's some people that get tripped up on that, And they go, well, if God's already chosen these people, why do I have to go? And the way I look at it is going, it's a privilege to be able to take God's word and go. Two things can be true at the same time. God can be completely sovereign, and he can use us in that plan. What a privilege to be able to do that. I mean, there's nothing better Then watch the Spirit of God reaching down and touching somebody's heart. I just love being there when the light goes on. Do you want to miss that? I want to be part of that. I know in the past three years that we've seen about 100 people come to know the Lord right here through Salt City Church. And many of you are the ones that were used by God to deliver that message. We rejoice with you on that. And it says that he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I would have liked to have been part of that. That's just fun to see what God's doing but then there's another turn in the story, and it gets harder. Verse twelve. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, I mentioned earlier that there was a there was a governor in Corinth. That's that's who this was. Is is Gallio? He was the governor. He was the one that was that was appointed by the Roman emperor himself. This was probably the most powerful person, the most powerful person in Corinth. And the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So the Jews had finally had enough with Paul everything that they were doing was not working so they took a quite frankly a unique approach and it's really kind of clever because he took paul to the judgment seat and basically said this is a new religion because one of the things and and it should be illegal one of the things that's interesting is that the Roman Empire, when it, would, when it would take over territory, many times it would leave the prevailing religion intact. But they would box it in. And they would put really strict guidelines around it. And if anything was outside of that, they would make it against the law. And so these Jewish people were going, I think we can take advantage of this. So they're bringing Paul to the judgment seat and saying he is starting a new religion. And it's one of those things that if Galileo would have would have actually sided with them, Christianity would have been become illegal and then the Roman government would have had to round up all the, the Christians and put them in jail. And however, what happened next was surprising. I mean, it was, quite, it was shocking, actually. It says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge over these matters. So just as Paul got up to speak and give his defense, Galileo stops the whole thing. He doesn't even let Paul speak. I can't imagine what kind of a shock that was, but the words that he spoke was even more shocking. I know it's my opinion, but it seems, it seems to me, that Galileo might have been familiar with the message of the gospel. And here's the reason I say that. So in verse 15, he says. But if there are any questions about words, insert in there like words like Messiah and Christ. And names like Jesus, if you put that in there. And your own law, including Scripture. Look after it yourself. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. he might as well have been saying, what are you guys talking about? This guy Jesus that he talks about? He's the one you've been looking for. That's not my concern. So he dismissed them. He basically made Christianity lawful. And all of the Roman Empire. Isn't that amazing? Verse 16. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Gallio was not concerned of any of these. I mean, first of all, Drew, thanks for giving me a passage that ends abruptly with a beating. But I tell you, the things of the world today I actually want to say thank you because this passage touched me. Spoke to me deeply. Because it doesn't end abruptly right there. Let's take a look at some of the characters involved. You know, first you got the crowd, the crowd didn't get what they wanted. So they went seeking after something that would satisfy them. And they landed on Sosthenes. They start beating him. And of course there's Sosthenes, who's the leader of the synagogue. Quite frankly, he's probably the guy that put all this together. He's the one that organized this whole deal. He's probably the one that actually made the case in front of Gallio that they got thrown out. In any case, the crowd held him responsible for the loss. And they were going to take it out on him. He was going to have to pay. And then there's Gallio. He's the most powerful person in the room. He's the one that had the most resources at his disposal. And yet he did nothing. It says was not concerned about any of those things. And what about Paul? Where was Paul? Did he end up being an observer? And if he's an observer, what was going through his mind? Was he thinking back in the times that he was beaten? Or maybe he was thinking back when he was persecuting the church and he drugged people out of their homes and beat them and put them in prison. Or maybe Asathlanes was sitting there getting beating. It was flashback to, to Paul at that time that he sat there and held people's cloaks when they were stoning Stephen. I don't think this ends right here. Maybe to give a clue. If we go back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, Wouldn't it be just like God to reach into a situation like that and redeem, redeem that situation? Take something that we look and go, that's tragic. And God's gonna reach in there and redeem because that's what he does. He's reached down and redeemed us. Now, there's some that may dispute of whether that was the Sosthenes and the same one. But what I do know, the God of heaven, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings, the defeated death, has the ability to reach down and transform people's hearts. This morning, we need to be encouraged for that. So the real question is, where are you this morning? Where do you see yourself? Have you been a believer for a long time, but you're weary? And quite frankly, with everything that's going on, you're paralyzed to say anything. And I want you to hear this morning is do not fear. I'm with you. Keep on speaking because it's not about you. It's about the power of Christ. Are you hurting this morning and you feel rejected, marginalized? You need to hear, I love you. I'm with you. I want to heal you. Or maybe for the first time this morning, the Spirit is working on your heart. And it's time for you to yield your life today. After the service, if you've got any questions, We want to hear from you. You can come down, talk to us. We want to hear your story. We want to be with you. Let me pray. Lord, I want to just thank you for who you are. We worship you this morning. We just thank you that you have reached down, touched us. Lord, I just pray that for those that need to feel your presence today, that they press into you, that they would feel your very presence, they would feel your comfort. Lord, I just lift up your name because it's worthy of our worship It's worthy of our praise and all glory and honor go to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.